Give me the green light. Give me just one night. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go. Welcome, everybody, to episode 96 of the Green Light Podcast. On this episode, we are joined by Rob Cressy. And I was going to say Rob Cressy of, but to be honest with you, man, we may never finish the episode if I finish your entire byline. So what we're going to do is we're going to say Rob Cressy, Miami of Ohio graduate, which is a bad thing for us, man. We are OU Bobcats through and through. Uh, So we're starting this episode as adversaries, and we'll see how we finish. Well, I will extend an olive branch in the name of the shack of the Mac, Gary Trent, being a basketball fan myself. Uh, one of my prized jerseys was a Gary Trent Blazers jersey, Ooh. which, as Ooh. you can imagine, there's not very many Gary They're Trent jerseys floating many. around this world. But guess what? I love sports as much as the next guy. So uh, I'll extend this olive branch, even though Wally Zerbiak was there during my time. And it is the pinnacle of my college career when they beat Tennessee and we got to rush the uh, floor. But actually, I'll even yes end this and shout out to Nathan Rourke, the quarterback oh for the OU Bodcaps, who was a multi keeper in my college fantasy football league. I'm sure there's no guests that you guys have come on that play college fantasy football, but Nathan Rourke was ridiculous. Wow. He probably put up a lot of numbers for you. I can see, I mean, insane. probably I can't think of too many more. It's perfect in terms of having that rushing floor and, and being consistent every year. Oh yeah. Was, was Wally and, and big Ben together. Uh, So Wally was a few years before So my freshman year, I think, was Wally's junior year. And then my senior year was Ben's sophomore or junior year. So I actually had a class with Ben uh, and then I graduated and then the Steelers drafted him. So you can only imagine my excitement being someone from Pittsburgh. I know. I was going to say he's a Steelers fan too, Ian. I mean, we are just, we are striking out on all the courts. But that's that's actually, that has to be Miami's greatest, like, four to six year run when they overlapped in terms of sports. I mean, it has to be without a doubt. And here's the thing. And I'm guessing you guys know this from OU as well, but Miami's a party school first uh, sports school, not second, third or fourth. It's sort of a tertiary thing. So (laughs) when Wally was there, it was amazing. But like, even with Ben, no one was going there because like games are at noon Eastern time. And it's like, we've been partying until like four in the morning. You think we're going to get up to watch football at Miami? So no, but you're correct. It was the heyday of Miami sports, albeit uh, the student body population didn't exactly support them like you would at an SEC school. Yeah, and, and it's and pretty Charlie crazy, Coles, man. Oh my, it's crazy too, Paul. We talked recently on an episode about the low-key coaching trees, or maybe it wasn't even on an episode. Herb Sindek, that is literally, I guess you say, the roots of that tree that everything from Thad Mata, Sean Miller, Arch Miller, John Gross, all these guys, 93 to 96, his first head coaching job, Miami of Ohio. So it really, wow. I know you've got your cradle of coaches for football, 
but ironically enough, I mean, basketball, there's been a lot of really good basketball coaches come through as assistants, as head coach, even, and obviously Charlie Colge himself is just absolute legend. Yeah. I've got a Charlie Cole story for you guys. So the best golf round I ever shot in my entire life, I was playing by myself and I shot an 86 that day. It was the only time I've only shot in the eighties twice in my entire life. I'm like a, a nineties or a high, high nineties guy. So I'm average at best. But that day I learned what it was like to play good golf. I was like, I can't believe this is getting up and down. Well, as I'm leaving the golf course, they're beaming ear to ear. Who walks behind me having just gotten out for the course right behind me? None other than Charlie Coles. Oh, my. That, that, that ozone going to be jumping. That. I mean, <laughs> that that, they, Charlie Coles was such a great I mean, like, rival that the Ohio like video every year would put the snippets of Charlie Coles in, in the hype video. And I like, absolute. Yeah. Awesome human being too. Really, really nice guy. I mean, and so there's, there's not, there's not the animosity, at least on my end. I, I have much more. I despise if any team is a despise in the Mac, it'd be Akron or Kent. I, I can, I can get along with Miami and, uh, but no, we're, we're happy to happy to have you. We accept, we accept the olive branch. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's jump in, man. I'm not even going to normally with our guests, like I at least attempt to describe them, but we're just going to let you do it, man. Let's, let's just jump in. Like who is Rob Cressy? Let's start there. So Rob Cressy is a creator. He's an entrepreneur. He is a coach and he is a champion for everyone. And I'm someone who lives life by design. So the reason why uh, I have a lot of things that I do, like how in the world do I describe what I do um, is very simple because uh, over a decade ago, someone once said to me, Rob, if you ever hope to get paid to do what you love, you better be doing it already. I was like, all right, well, I want to uh, work and I want to get paid to talk about sports for a living. I want to be creative. I want to be uh, running my own agency and all this stuff. So it's like, cool, go and teach myself how to do all of that. So in the process of doing that for a year straight or a year, a decade straight, you learn a few things. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, how do you talk about sports for a living? Well, you should probably teach yourself how to be a host, how to create a podcast, how to be on video. And then once you do all that, you're like, well, I should probably learn social media marketing and branding. And then once you do that, you're like, well, I might as well learn community building and throwing events and apparel. And then while all that's going on, you're like, well, I probably should learn, level up my personal development and my mindset. And then you just start stacking all of these things for a decade later. Then you get sort of a lot of multi hyphenates after your name. Oh, I, yeah. I love it. You've done it. <laughs> and obviously we'll touch on a number of different things, but one thing I think it stuck out to both of us and looking at your buying in your LinkedIn, March, 2020, you launched the creating coach, which obviously March, 2020, probably I think all for all of us, there's a, there's a shift um, just in life and in, in, in general for everyone at that point. Tell us again, what, what that, that entails um, the creating coach itself and, and kind of what made you launch it then? So never in my life did I think that I would wake up one day and sports didn't exist. Yet here we are in uh, March 2020, and I'm so excited. I remember my calendar is blocked off for March Madness for those four days, but specifically oh, yeah. thir- Thursday and Friday. It's like a holiday for me. I'm so excited for this. I'm not going to do anything except 
for watch college basketball, bet on sports and kick it with my friends. And then boom, here comes the games. And little did I know that I had a blind spot in my business. Sports can go away. And at Bacon Sports, uh, we specialize in helping brands market to sports fans. So I was like, wow, did not see that coming. But uh, there's two perspectives that can happen from this. And one of the blessings for me is I've always been very forward thinking. I have not related to the way the majority of people who build their careers or companies in sports have done so because they've, all, they've done so in a very advertising model base. So a lot of the media companies or they've been one trick ponies. If you only do this thing, like think about the number of people who have uh, written for the athletic or for various websites. And then all of a sudden, not only are their jobs gone, the job that they would get to replace their job no longer exists. So I never wanted to put myself in a position where somebody else was in charge of what my future looked like. So I'm like, all right, what are you going to do in this instance now that sports does not exist? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to triple down on my own brand. So sports, I had both um, sports clients as well as non-sports clients, even though I wasn't marketing that. I wasn't marketing my podcasting services and my coaching services because I was hired as a high-performance coach for an ad agency to make their uh, team better at business by being better at life. Well, all of a sudden, I was like, there's no destination for this. So, boom, I created robcressy.com and stepped into myself as a coach away from the world of sports, where me, the one who has invested in my high performance, my mindset, creating myself and self-mastery, now building the systems and the processes for how I've leveled up myself over the last decade and anybody else can. So when it comes to the creating coach, I work with others to create. So we start a conversation and it says, what would you like to create today? Boom, I'm now a champion for you in that. And there's a variety of places we can go, but that's really what the creating coach is. So perfect transition too. So personal and career coaching has gotten, let's call it flack over the years, you know, um, for a variety of reasons, whether it be, you know, like you're listening to a 21 year old try and tell you like how to do this or how to do that. Or, you know, maybe people got like scammed by somebody or, uh, you know, they don't believe maybe they're like they did it and there wasn't like tangible results that they got from it. Like, so I think a two part question, like, what do you do? And I, and not necessarily the process of, of what your actual coaching looks like, but like, what do you say to someone maybe in a perspective call, like if I called you and I was interested, like, okay, here's what I can guarantee. And then how do you, the second part question is like, how do you view the landscape today? The number one thing that I can guarantee is my commitment to you. And that is greater than anything else that's going to be out there because the biggest thing that separates those who do from those who don't is commitment. I'm not worried about my side of things. So if people are trying to shoot arrows into like, well, why is this valuable? What are you going to do? Uh, you're asking the wrong question. You got to show up with yourself first. So for me, I am the ultimate coach because I am also the ultimate client. So for the, 
I, of course, have many coaches myself. And the way that I show up for everything that I do, including this podcast right here, is a little bit of a taste for how I do everything. And imagine if everybody spent an hour preparing for their coaching call with me. What do you think the results would be like when one absolutely committed person creates with another absolutely committed person? What can I guarantee? I can guarantee that we're going to transform your life and you're going to create more growth than you've ever seen ever. And so second part of that, sorry, Ian, I don't want to cut you off. Like, where do you, where do you see the landscape? Even if it's changed in the last 18 months, like how do you view it today? I view it. I'll say this candidly. uh, It doesn't matter to me. I only care about uh, my brand, what I can control in my actions and how I can help others. Because when people have been burned by other coaches, I get it, but I've never been burned in my entire life and I've been doing this for two decades. So I get that there's some people out there, but there's an authenticity that happens with conversation. And I'm never concerned about competition because my only competition is myself. So the natural thing is for anyone who wants to get into this is you say, all right, step one, start with books and podcasts. Step two, start to have active listening and start to say, huh, what are the books and podcasts that are being talked about in these things? What are those or who are the people that are on there? So for example, for you guys in your audience, this is a very simple way to be introduced to Rob Cressy. And that's the way that you do it is there's a level of credibility. Are you just doing this via people on Instagram with shiny Lambo stuff? Or does it pass your sniff test where the level that we talk at, because there's an element of candor and relatability in leveling up that can't be bullshitted. Like, I don't think there's anybody who's listened to any part of this so far. That's like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's honestly, it's funny because Paul, we talked about, I, I relate so much. We're talking about basketball trainers right now. And we talk about skill coaches and things like that. And I love Rob, what you just said about how prepared that person is coming to you and the dedication you're providing to them. And I said, there's a, there's a direct correlation. I see, I think with a lot of the, the skills trainers, the coaches that we've spoken with, where maybe they're not pushing everything as, as completely out there of, Hey, this is the product that I've posted. This is how good I've gotten this player, but their dedication and their work with that person and the, and, and vice versa, that player coming prepared is going to help those results that ultimately that, that shine is going to, is going to be there. Well, there, there's no doubt about that. And that's why one of my declarations that I speak into existence every single day is I am a champion for everyone. And I say that because I truly want the best out of every single person. So when we get the opportunity to be in conversation together, I'm going to be there because I'm bringing so much love and so much everything to the table because I want the best for you because I've already experienced what it's like to receive these breakthroughs for myself because I've done that over the course 
as I've said, of two decades of transforming myself from a party fraternity bro at Miami of Ohio who's just drinking natty lights in the handfuls to a person who's had a reading uh, routine for so long where I've got a growth mindset and self-mastery and there's so much and it's all happened one day and step at a time in order to create myself into this version. So that's what I want to share with others is the possibilities of what is there and what's possible when you show up a certain way, when you're in tune with that frequency of the world where maybe you're not waking up in the morning, checking your email and watching the news and jumping on social media first time. God forbid, maybe we're going to journal or meditate or work out or drink a glass of water or any number of things that you're in control of. So now let's start designing the things that are going to help you become the best version of yourself before you let the world get to you. Well, tell us about the start of Bacon Sports. The story goes, you know, you were sick of reading the same old sports stories. You wanted to create content with your spin on it. Um, you know, we're going to get to Second City and, and that, but tell us about the start of Bacon Sports. So the start of Bacon Sports is a dream that for uh, about a decade of my life, uh, I woke up every day going to a job that I did not love. And you can make a crap ton of money at something and not love doing it. And for me, I was doing digital advertising sales and I was very good at it. But uh, as the sports blog landscape was straight crushing at that time, I was sitting there and I dreamed of working in sports and being creative. And I just knew I was as good or better than anything else that I was seeing there. And I thought to myself, I would regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't give it a shot at making my dreams happen. And that's when I decided to cut the cord, uh, leave a six-figure job and go all in at making my dreams happen. And my dreams just so happened to come in the form of a company called Bacon Sports, which started for the first three years as an original sports comedy blog. So I looked at the sports landscape and so much of it was copy, paste, insert what's on Bleacher, Deadspin, yep. or Barstool or whatever. And this is like pre-pre-Barstool what it is now. Everything was aggregation. And I'm like, that doesn't impress me. I'm way better than that. I can create content in my sleep. So that's what I did. And we created thousands of articles, videos, and podcasts over the course of three years. And that got me to become the prolific creator that I am today, seeing the landscape. But there was one giant challenge in this. How in the world do you monetize a publishing website if you don't do it via advertising, which is what my job used to be? I knew I didn't want to build it because it was the wrong direction. And thank God I didn't. Because had I done what everybody else did, I would not exist right now if I'd build it on the advertising model. But here's the thing. If you're not going to build a publishing website on an advertising-based model, where in the world do you create revenue? I thought about it and I thought about it and I was like, all right, who doesn't need to make money off of banner advertising? And I was like, oh, brands. And I was like, I'm on the receiving end of sports marketing all the time. Who better to know how to help a brand market to sports fans than the person that they're looking to market to myself. 
So I turned Bacon Sports into our first client over three years saying, hey, look at all that we've done in engaging in marketing to sports fans, building communities, and boom, that became a launch pad for uh, creating podcasts and video shows and running social media accounts for sports brands in, in sports betting, fantasy sports, and sports marketing. Yeah, and obviously Paul already touched on um, a little bit, um, and now you, you mentioned the the humor side of things and the improv. What made you want to attend Second City? And obviously, it's it's an institution in in, com- in the comedy and the performance world. Um, but tell your experience there, your takeaways. Was it what you expected? Was it different? And 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 how can it help you grow in in your career? Greatest thing ever. When I look back at my life of the best decisions I ever made, moving to Chicago was one of them. Going to Second City and studying improv and comedy writing for four years was another one. So it just so happens when I moved in Chicago to Old Town, I moved across the street from Second City. So as I looked at the sports landscape of content creation, I was like, all right, how am I going to differentiate myself? And I was like, huh, everybody's aggregating all their content. Maybe I will learn the skill set of a comedian, not to become one, but to use it in the content and marketing that I create. So I have a lens for the way that I see the world or that I create content that is shaped from four years of the highest level of comedy knowledge that exists. So I learned uh, how to write for The Onion from the uh, creator of The Onion, Scott Diggers. It was the hardest class I've ever taken in my life, learning satire and how, how the onion gets so good at writing headlines and all of those jokes. Well, guess what? I learned the formulas, but more importantly, how to think. And that's what I think so many people miss in everything that we've just talked about from personal development to content creation, to entrepreneurship, to creating whatever career that you want. What is your thought process for how you do this? Because your thoughts will lead your actions. So for me now, I'm seeing the sports content world from a lens of a comedian, not to be one, but to entertain people. So now all of a sudden I can create content that stands out because all anybody else can do is aggregate. So talk to us about your eight core values that define who you are and how you came up with them. I'm always interested to learn if people knew, you know, right away, maybe when they're 18, 19, 20, 21, what their core values were, or if did they change, did they adjust, or did you come up with them later in life? Like when, when did that happen? I came up with my core values later in life and it was a maturation process. So once again, I have not always been this person. And quite frankly, I've lived multiple different lives, probably college Rob (laughs) and then 20 parties, Rob, who is Peter from office space, but work hard, play hard. And then there's entrepreneur and personal development and mindset coach, Rob. And then now I'm actually dad, Rob, which just happened recently. So I've, I've lived these variety of things, but more importantly, in the process of all of this, I've learned from the the best people in the world. So one of the greatest tips I can give anyone is when I started making sports and I was now making $0. I thought to myself, all right, well, what are you gonna do now? And I was like, well, I'm going to audit the success habits of the most successful people, Uh, the people I aspire to be like and do things like. What are the things that they do? 
because maybe I should do some of these things, right? So uh, one of the things was the average CEO reads 60 books a year. And I'm like, shit, I'm reading zero. Think I might want to get on this? All right. Then I start to hear about this thing called meditation. I'm like, what's all this woo-woo? Whatever. I give it a shot. The average CEO wakes up early and then he goes and works out. And little by little, these little habits that these high achievers started to create, I started to create. But then once I started to learn from these high achievers, then I'm like, well, who do they learn from? And that's when all of a sudden I started to level up who I was getting coached from. So I've been coached by people like Andy Frisella and Ed Milet and Jesse Itzler and Grant Cardone. And if these names don't ring a bell to you, congratulations. I just gave you the greatest gift in the world, four of the biggest mentors of my entire life. And these are all digital mentors for me that I've been part of their coaching programs or the various groups or things that they create. And one of the things that Andy Frisella and Ed Milet talk about so much in the building of a business is core values. So it wasn't until they broke it down on the business side of things that they said, listen, you got to write down your core values for the company that you're building. And I don't care if you're at one person because this is going to stack and it starts on day one. So from that, and I'll give everybody a quick little overview of what my core values are to sort of frame this. So I've got eight core values that are foundational to who I am. Number one, radiate positivity. Number two, always learning. Number three, extreme ownership. Number four, yes and, which comes from Second City. Number five, live in action. Number six, be relentless. Number seven, do what's right. And number eight, talk with candor. And with those core values, you know exactly who I am every single day when I show up. So for me and the coaching client, going back to why would anybody ever go with Rob, even if you've been burned in the past, boom, go ahead and show me your core values. I'm right there. You can see all the content that I've created. This courses through my veins of who I am every single day. And that's why I radiate this sort of electricity and positivity because this is just who I am. No, I absolutely love that. And I think in right now, Obviously, I think we've seen a shift in society just in terms of whether it be culture, whether it be personality, whether it be, I mean, all, all sorts of things. Um, one of the biggest things, and we talk about it, I mean, as we're literally on a podcast now, we've beaten the point home about the power of podcasting and how truly no matter what line of work you're in, if you're in sales, if you're in media, directly in media, if you're in uh, marketing, whatever it may be, um, you can create valuable content that adds value to your consumer, um, thus making you a leader in your space. Obviously, I think, I don't know if we're fully at a point where we're completely oversaturated with podcasts. I think we're, we're seeing so many now, but who will succeed in the next two to four years? What are the type of people, what are the type of podcasts you think that will separate themselves um, in that podcasting space and, and, and why? So I actually have to diagnose what you said to get the answer because there is a false narrative in what you said that is common in the entire industry. There are so many podcasts that are out there. You know what I say to that? Irrelevant. Because this is your opportunity 
to build a relationship and connection and drive thought leadership in value to others. What anybody else is doing, it doesn't matter. Joe Rogan down to somebody with uh, two followers down to their name. It does not matter because what is important is your action because you're either there and give me the opportunity to consume what you're doing or you're not. So anyone who's focused on, oh my God, there's so many podcasts. Yeah, there's a lot of websites. There's a lot of social media handles, but just because everybody else has a website, does that mean you're not going to? Of course not. That's just your opportunity to create a digital storefront. So now on the podcasting side of things, we oftentimes want to give ourselves this reason for why maybe we're not as good as we thought we are. It's like, yeah, but there's so many other podcasts that are out there. That's just crap. Throw that in the trash because I want you to be absolutely amazing at what you do. Because for me, I've done this for 10 years straight. So it is irrelevant to me how many people listen to my podcast. Because eventually, as I got on the show, you see me on LinkedIn because I lived in action for 10 years straight. Eventually, people hear you and see you. And I'm going to tell you a story that blew my mind. So I was at, at Grant Cardone's 10X Growth Conference in Miami a few years ago. And uh, the show is about to start and it's at Marlins Arena, big ass stadium. And it was like 10 minutes, like 10 minutes, go and get your seats. I'm like, all right, let's go. And in the concourse, someone comes up to me and is like, hey, are you Rob Cressy? I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? He goes, I love watching you on LinkedIn. My jaw hit the floor. I was like, that shit works. And I've been doing it for years, not concerning myself over the views or any of the stuff. And why am I sharing this story? Because competition is irrelevant. Anybody else posting on LinkedIn, anybody else creating a podcast does not matter because this is your opportunity to create something awesome. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to consistency too, right? To your point, you've been doing it for 10 years. So, you know, you keep, keep chopping wood and the results will happen. Um, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, the, the social platform that has uh, admittedly taken over all the other platforms for me uh, is TikTok. Um, what do you think TikTok, what happens to TikTok in 2022? Do you think it continues to dominate and alter the way we consume content? Like Instagram had to directly respond to the popularity of TikTok and like really put an emphasis on their reels, um, which, you know, isn't getting all that much traction, but you know, that response from Instagram says a lot. So I just want to see, you know, what, what do you, where do you see TikTok going? Um, how long will it be the dominant platform? And uh, are you, are you a user? So here's what I am noticing. Always follow the marketers. So, cause marketers of course love to use platform for marketing purposes. So as I'm you, you know what happens too is a good point. They usually, when they ruin the platform, that's when you go elsewhere. Like people <laughs> always made the joke like three, four years ago. It's like Instagram's just, all it is, is a mall. They ruined it. First they ruined Facebook. No, first they ruined email. Then they ruined Facebook. Then they ruined Instagram. So maybe it'll be TikTok next. I don't know. Correct. So the challenge that marketers had in TikTok is probably a little bit similar to Snapchat is the younger demographic. How am I going to be pushing my cybersecurity offering when on the platform is 18 year olds or 21 year olds? That doesn't exactly fit the sort of mold there. So there's an incongruency of like, 
I want to use this for business, but there's no one there. But then there's also that's backwards thinking because you become the one who goes on there because in the background is all of the people who are using it, who may or not be, may or may not be letting everybody know about it. So the fallacy becomes everyone thinks you're just on there for trick shots and dance videos, but then slowly but surely, and I think this is very similar to podcasting. Why in the world would anybody in my industry want to create a podcast? Uh, because nobody in your industry has created a podcast. I think the same rings true for this. And I can even tell you from some clients that I have right now on the brand building side of things, I'm starting to hear them talk about, oh, I'm investing in TikTok now. So ding, 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 indicator for me. On my side, uh, this is also going to be an area in 2022 that I'm going to explore a little bit more on the creative side of things. I would not consider myself a heavy user on TikTok at all. Well, why is that? It's not because I don't understand everything that's going around. It's because I'm putting all of my effort into my coaching business, building out a digital university for self-mastery, my podcasts, my videos. There's a plethora of platforms, but at the same time, I'm working on getting my process down in understanding TikTok in the way that I can best deliver value. So it's actually great that you asked this. Just yesterday, I went on TikTok and the first thing that I did is I went to the hashtags and I looked up self-mastery, personal development, self-growth, uh, all these um, self-related improvement hashtags. One, how many people are using the hashtags from views? And two, what does the top content look like? So I'm sharing my own sort of process for how I'm going to be creating in that space to uh, build my own niche, if that makes sense. So I very much believe in 2022, TikTok's only going to continue to get bigger. Yeah. Uh, in that same realm, and we'll go there while we're on, obviously, the tech side, I want to get into Web3. And I, I think the, I want to ask you, I don't know if this is possible, if you can describe it in a sentence, because I know both Paul and I, I mean, we can't, we, we read can't. about it daily. And it's sorry, but um, how could you, I guess, most efficiently summarize that? I don't know. It's just where, th it's just where things are going. There's a, there's a natural evolution. I, I think the key is you don't have to understand something to uh, start gaining your knowledge on it. So I think the best example for me was years ago with blockchain. I had a friend of mine who was a a business friend, we're doing calls every week and he's a tech guy, he's a, a cloud, a data guy, all this stuff. He speaks hieroglyphics that I don't understand. But he used the term blockchain as if he had just said the word bread. I was like, all right, well, I clearly have to figure out what this guy is talking about because I have no idea what it was. So what did I do? I went and found the number one book on blockchain in crypto and just read it just to understand my knowledge. And that would be my suggestion to anyone on Web3 or NFTs or any of this or crypto, any of these things that you don't understand that number one, go to the number one source that you can find and read it. Number two, be very uh, wise with the information you're consuming. Do not use the LinkedIn headline on the side that's like, Bitcoin down 30 million, it's over with. And I'm like, this is trash. Like, you got to be very um, vigilant about your inputs and then be okay with not knowing, but being a learner. So 
dabble your feet in there. Like for me, when I decided to get into NBA Top Shot back in the day, well, back in the day being what a year ago. Yeah, it was like yeah, a year right? ago. We but, did too. Ian and I did too. We were all about it. Oh, yeah. But I didn't know what it was. I got an email. I'm at Disneyland with my wife and we're waiting in line. And there's an email that's like, hey, you got selected to get it packed. And it's like $16. And I'm like, whatever, let's figure this out. I ended up getting a LeBron James card uh, moment in there. And he's like, Duncan, and I look through this stuff and I'm like, I'm not really impressed. And then I go and see the uh, evaluate.market. I'm like, that's $290. I was like, sell, 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 sell. And I was like, boom, I got it. And then that's how I started to learn about NFTs and Top Shot because then I was like, I just flipped this pack that I bought for $16 for $500 while standing in line yep. at Disneyland. And then I bought and sold and bought and sold. So that's my suggestion. Get your feet wet on some of this stuff. I mean, based on that, I think I already know the answer, but I mean, are you bullish on crypto long-term and do you, besides Top Shot, do you own any NFTs? Uh, I do not own any other NFTs other than Top Shot. I've actually been out of the Top Shot market for a while now, not for any reason other than uh, I guard my attention and I also guard my dollars in terms of where I'm investing. And as I mentioned, I invest heavily in myself. And uh, I heard a great thing about NFTs when people try and understand when you see like the crypto punks going for millions of dollars and these, there's just new things that just pop up every single time. And this came from Ryan Stuman. Uh, the hardcore closer is his um, moniker. He's a great guy uh, from a forward thinking perspective. And he talked about NFTs and certainly on the higher level, really about being access to a community. So everyone who owns a crypto punk, let's call him, it's, it's now a million dollar plus entry into that community. So now as you start to look around the market and you say, all right, well, what would purchasing this do from an access to a community? Because guess what? A lot of people don't understand the functionality that can inevitably come from an experiential. So God forbid, all of a sudden you realize, oh, Pharrell was the one who was in charge of creating this NFT. And now it's Pharrell and Wiz Khalifa and Richard Branson. And now they've got this event that's going on to anybody who owns one of these 100 upside down monkeys or something. And start power that can come uh, getting access to a community all via an NFT. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the ones that I think long-term are going to do the best, right? Like, okay, you buy the NFT and you join their discord or their community or that's their Slack channel and all that. But then what are you receiving in real life? Like what access are you getting for this? And, and there's a bunch that have, you know, if you buy, um, you know, something in the art space, you can go to like that artist gala and it's only for NFT owners. You know, the sports space is going to get really, really interesting because obviously, you know, ticket sales are ticket sales, but then, what do you do with that ticket? Like, are you going to be able to sell game seven, like LeBron's last game seven, if you're there and you have that ticket, are you going to be able to sell that for something? Maybe, maybe. I, but that seems to be like, I don't really have any interest in, in the NFTs that, you know, it's like, it, it's just like a art or, or a, like a, whatever it is. I don't know. It could be anything at this point. They're insane. But if it doesn't have any like, like in real life value, uh, then I don't really have an interest in it. 
Sorry about that. My headphones just crapped out on me for a second. Can yeah, you still you're hear good. Me? Yeah, yeah, we got you. You're good. One second here. Let me change my. All right, I'm back. Can you hear me? Yep, got you. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, no worries. Can you restate your question at the end? It literally just died on me, so. It wasn't even really a question. It was kind of responding to you, like about the, the NFT space in general. I think the ones that are going to succeed long term are the ones that provide real utility in real life. You know what I mean? Not necessarily the ones that don't get me wrong. Like, are there going to be NFTs that like get you into clubs in the metaverse? Sure. That's just not what I'm interested in. If it gets me into a club in New York, like, okay, maybe I'll buy that. But I, I you know, I'll let the metaverse go side. I'm not in on that one. So I've actually got some unique experience on this. Uh, one of the uh, clients that I worked with was uh, creating an NFT for Juju Smith-Schuster from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he created the Team Juju app. And it was interesting because this happened uh, originally during the pandemic. And Juju is a very forward-thinking brand. I love, I love Juju because he was always on Twitch and he's on YouTube and he's just doing so much for the younger generation. So Juju, and, and I was working not with Juju, but with a company who was representing Juju. And Juju created the Team Juju app just for Juju fans. Because when you go on social media, there were so many trolls and bots and bullies that like, oh my God, Juju, you didn't score a hundred fantasy points today. So you're the worst person in the world. And it's like, why that doesn't make sense. So let's create this um, inclusive environment just for people who are all about team Juju. Well, boom, pandemic hits and they were building this with a, a, a trading card that you could win from some geolocation stuff like Pokemon go. Well, pandemic hits. We can't really do Pokemon go now because nobody's outside, but what they had realized is uh, they had created an NFT not necessarily without thinking about creating an NFT, but what was originally created turned into an NFT to where now you could gamify your engagement with Juju and you could get a Juju NFT. And then with those can have various levels up and down all the way from a Zoom call with Juju to a meet and greet after a Steelers game to a, a, a jersey from him. And then we started to say, well, crap, you can also start to gamify it over the course of a season. Hey, if Juju has certain levels of his own productivity, if you own this Juju NFT, boom, it starts to become a multiplier to where all of a sudden now it becomes a tool for fan engagement because imagine if right now we're holding a Luca NFT that has um, escalator clauses on triple doubles. You're like, sign me up for that NFT. Yeah. That's a whole nother world that I don't even think I've, I didn't know that about Juju, to be honest. Well, so Juju is one awesome and it's been an interesting, obviously it's been interesting over the last two years on the launching of NFTs because uh, Dame Lillard dropped one, but I don't believe it was, I don't know if it was him that wasn't successful, but uh, right when Top Shot came out, there was like the rush of everyone to drop the NFT and it's like, boom, here's a, NFT from an athlete for 35 grand. And everyone's like, well, what's really the value of this thing without <laughs> understanding the utility of it? Yep. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what athletes are able to do solo. 
You know what I mean? Like obviously NBA Top Shop partner with NBA. I know that they're working on the NFL and MLB as well. Has that launched? Do you know? I think the NFL one was in beta because I know I signed up for the, well, I saw it on Twitter account. So I signed up for it just to see the access to it. So those are the type of things where the answer is, I don't know, but I'm signed up to the email list and I follow them on Twitter, even though I don't know anything else other than that. Yeah. I mean, I think the end, I mean, both of them obviously have uh, tremendous value. I think the MLB is so funny too, because um, you know, I don't know if you've, stayed up on like what they did with their media rights like five or ten years ago um but manfred like wouldn't for the longest time you couldn't watch mlb highlights on social which was just utterly stupid just that's it like hard stop where the nba 10 15 years ago realized oh no this is genius we need our highlights to be on youtube to be on instagram to be on facebook because then it's just going to grab all these consumers and all these eyeballs especially with the younger generation to then come and watch and buy product and jerseys and go to the games and the mlb was like yeah no this is going to be behind a paywall and i think finally they're like okay this we made a mistake we, we probably need to redo this as a brand i'm out on mlb and i'm yeah, way same. bullish on NBA in these forward thinking properties because MLB just doesn't get it. The fact that it took them that long to get it, that NBA is so far advanced. And I remember uh, MLB had their own version of Top Shot that launched that uh, to very little fanfare, let's put it. Hmm. Makes sense. Well, to end things, almost kind of how we started it. Um, obviously, we mentioned you're a big Steelers fan. Your big, big Ben fan. Hey, congrats on your playoffs, by the way. You were you were uh, a kneel down away from that being the craziest sports story of all time. Thank that you, was going to be my final question. It was exactly that. How One, how stressed were you watching that? And two, um, I guess, yeah, it was strutting ben, Big Ben in a word and in a sentence. How, how would you do that as so, the story continues? Number one – my stress and anxiety was during the Steelers Ravens game where I was standing up because we're watching the Jaguars destroy Indy. So now <laughs> the golden opportunity is there. And this is one of the worst Steelers teams of recent memory. So by no means is anything I'm saying being a ringing endorsement for them. I am a diehard fan. So of course you want your team in the playoffs because for the next week, you just get to live in the basking of beating the Ravens, making the playoffs. Everything else doesn't matter. So boom, Steelers win. I'm like, life is so good. The sun is shining so bright. I watched the first half of the uh, Raiders Chargers game, but I've got an eight week old son who goes to bed and wakes up at weird times all throughout the night. My sleep schedule, absolutely backwards. So I'm like, you know what? I don't really care what happens in this game. It's not going to be a tie. I go to bed at halftime. Baby wakes up at 1.30 in the morning and I go and check my phone. I'm like, I got to figure out what's going on with this. And I see Raiders win 35-32 in overtime. I'm like, whoa, what happens? And it's like headline Carlson hits game winner with no time on the line. I was like, whoa, all right, go back to bed, wake up this morning, turn on good morning football at 7 a.m. Like I'm literally counting down the minutes to see this, not for the Raiders game, but just to hear about Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers, which is an afterthought because the game was terrible. No one wants to talk about the Steelers because they're going to get 
destroyed by the Chiefs. And then I see what happens in this Raiders game. And I look at my text messages and there's like 50,000 text messages from Steelers fans and all fans being like, oh my God, I thought I was going to die, all this stuff. And I was like, you know what? I was actually good. I was sleeping during it. And it's actually been a blessing that I did not have to go through the roller coaster nature that everybody else did because that would have been excruciating to go through all of that. So my answer to all of that is I slept through the second half and I'm completely okay with it because I did not need that anxiety. And as it relates to Ben Roethlisberger, uh, he is my number two most favorite stealer of all time. Troy Polamalu is number one. I'm so thankful for Ben. He far exceeded expectations. Two Super Bowls, went to three. I've got nothing but love for Ben. It's a good way to end it, man. Um, We will actually, the, the last thing, where can everybody find you? Website, social, all that good stuff. So I actually uh, came with my own olive branch for you guys and your audience. So uh, one of the biggest blessings for me has been creating a morning routine that serves me where boom, what is the first hour two hours or three hours of my day look like? So I reverse engineered it and then put it into an easy to consume guide. So if you go to robcressy.com backslash morning, you're going to get my guide to creating a morning routine that serves you. And this is probably the best thing about a morning routine you will ever see because it took me more than a decade to create. It's absolutely incredible. Robcressy.com backslash morning. Uh, You can listen to my podcast, Best Year Ever, which is a show designed to help you create your best year ever. Um, Or follow me on all social media platforms at Rob Cressy. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it, Rob. Thank you for coming on. Good luck with everything this year. And uh, yeah, we'll have you on again soon. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Lately, I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss and tell me what you're working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. Pull, slush, rust, souls up next. And I got this. Crazy like Britney and the love so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.